Well, here we are in the fourth Sunday of the Easter season. And, uh, and this week we're going to move into something a little different than what we've seen the last three weeks throughout this Easter tide. Uh, the first week we looked at a resurrection appearance recorded in Matthew's Gospel, and then we looked at a resurrection appearance recorded in John's Gospel. Last week we, we looked at Luke's Gospel and the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And this week we're, we're not looking at a, a resurrection account, but this week we're more looking at a passage that deals with what happens as a result of Jesus being the risen Lord to those uh, who follow him. What can we await? And so we're going to go back to John chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, it reads like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I know, surprise, surprise, the disciples don't quite get what he's laying down. So, verse 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. End of reading. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the words that we have just heard. I pray that you would speak through my very imperfect and feeble lips to make these words uh, become clearer and applicable to our lives as they always are. May your spirit reveal to us what we need to see. Give us ears to hear now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I have had on a couple of occasions in my life the dreadful experience of having to work or serve under bad leadership. Uh, I can think of uh, a few times when I was younger. I mean, there's one that, that kind of sticks out to me uh, strongly. When I was like 15, 16 years old, about my sophomore year in high school, I was in my algebra class, and we had a substitute teacher that day. And the substitute teacher began the session, began the class with these words. Listen up. I don't care if you learn anything today. I don't care if you talk to your friends or play with games or whatever it is you do. I'm just here to get a paycheck, and all I want from you is to do whatever you do quietly. Don't bug me. Now, I have to admit, at first, when I heard the teacher say that, and give us carte blanche, blank check to do whatever we wanted during the class, as long as we were quiet, I thought he was the raddest teacher I had ever had in my life. I thought that was great. 
But now, you know, looking at things 26, 27 years later, I realize that he wasn't necessarily the model of good leadership as a teacher that day in the class. I've also had, you know, experiences in work with bad leadership. Now, don't get me wrong, I've, I've had good leaders too. I don't want to make it seem like, you know, everybody I ever served under wasn't good. Uh, but I, I had one boss in particular, I remember, that was just, I mean, kind of tyrannical. I mean, I was working in a factory setting and a warehouse setting, and just every day that he would come in, he would grumble and he would curse at the employees and he, he'd throw the product that we'd made down because he wasn't satisfied with it. And it was just so often an occurrence that eventually for my own mental health, I got so tired of dealing with it that, that I quit the job. And my guess is that you can think of times in which you've experienced poor leadership as well. Now, why am I bringing this up today? Well, it just happens to be that unfortunately throughout history, God's people have oftentimes been led by bad leaders too. Especially when you look back to the Old Testament, you can see examples of people that were called to be leaders within the temple system were called to be political leaders that instead of loving the sheep and the people of God, they fleece the sheep and exploit the sheep. And unfortunately, I think bad leadership in the church, yes, it still happens today, I think that can be vastly more destructive than having bad leadership at a job or even a school setting. I mean, it's one thing to have to change jobs, to be driven away from a place. It's another thing to be driven away from God by those who would claim to represent him, but do it in a negative and false way. And so it's into that context to a group of people that have been led for way too long by bad leaders, by bad shepherds, as he refers to them in other passages like Ezekiel 34, uh, in, in this passage, he refers to them as, as thieves and liars who seek to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he's talking about there. But in, in contrast, Jesus shows up today and says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that the scriptures were prophesying. I'm the one who fulfills everything that these leaders were supposed to be, but were not. And by extension, he is telling us and the people back then that therefore we can trust him. We can follow his leadership. We can be confident that Jesus is a good shepherd. There's a number of reasons he gives for that in our text today. Let's break some of them down. First of all, the first big reason that I see from this text that we can confidently follow him as our good shepherd is because, well, he's God. Now you might, maybe you picked up on it, maybe you didn't, depending on how much you're familiar with the biblical narrative, but you'll notice in this passage that Jesus says first, I am the door, and a little later on, I am the good shepherd. Now I want you to focus on those first two words, I am. If you have a little bit of biblical knowledge, you'll Remember that in Exodus chapter 3, when God first calls Moses, Moses asks God his name, and what does God say? God says, I am. Or more specifically, I am who I am. 
This is the divine title. When Jesus shows up in John's gospel here and says, I am something, the Jewish listeners would have known exactly what he was referencing. In fact, he does this all throughout John's gospel. In John 6, you'll remember, he says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 8, 58, he frankly declares he's eternal, saying that before Abraham was, even though he had lived 2,000 years before Jesus was walking the earth, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Go to our passage today, he says, I am again. The next chapter, John 11, he says, what? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And John 15, 5, I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first point is the reason the sheep can have confidence in Jesus as their good shepherd is because he is telling us, I really am God. I am the ultimate good shepherd. You can trust that I am going to lead you properly. The second reason I see in this text for why the sheep can be confident in following the lead of Jesus as their good shepherd is because he says he knows them, his sheep, and they know him. He knows them and they know him. Now, admittedly, depending on where you're at today, hearing that he knows you might not bring thoughts of comfort at first. Matter of fact, it might actually be a little disconcerting knowing that God literally knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly might make you prone to run and flee from him. My good buddy Dan Price, who has preached for me before at Epiphany, likes to use the image of having your thoughts plastered on a big screen for the whole world to see, all of them. And he says, how quickly would the room empty and how quickly would you want to run away yourself from everybody having your deepest, darkest thoughts exposed? Indeed, that's what our first parents did. I mean, Adam and Eve ran and hid as soon as they uh, broke the command of God, as soon as they let sin into the world. They didn't run to him. They ran away from him. They tried to hide from him and from one another. And frankly, if you wanted to sort of define the fallenness of humanity in one way, you might be able to just do it that way. What does it mean to be a fallen human being? That instead of running to God, we run from God and from one another. We don't feel like we can be safe with God or with one another anymore. And of course, the reality is, just as we saw with Adam and Eve, there's no hiding from God. There just isn't. He sees all our flaws. He sees our internet history. He sees our temper tantrums. He sees my selfishness, my judgmental attitude towards others my pride. He sees the gossip. 
and the slander. He sees it all. It's natural when meditating on something like that, that you might be prone to hiding. And yet, the reason the fact that he knows us is actually comforting is because in spite of him seeing all the muck, all the filth that I can have bottled up inside of me, in spite of him knowing my failures, we are told and assured over and over again that the good shepherd loves his sheep. Yes, he's seen the sheep get all muddy and dirty. Yes, he's seen the sheep run astray outside of the fold, away from him, getting themselves into all sorts of trouble. And yet he still loves the sheep. As John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. In other words, that was his motivation. What was, what was his motivation? His love for the world that it motivated him to send his son for the world. As Martin Luther once quipped, sinners are not loved because they're attractive. Sinners are attractive because they are loved. Jesus actually loves you. God really does love you. His disposition toward you is that of love. Now I'm going to read a part of the passage that we read earlier and, and you're going to maybe at first hear it and go, well, how does that relate to love? And how did you get that, Eric? But listen to the passage, and then I want to break it down a little bit for you. So verse 3 of the passage, Jesus says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And if you skip down a little further, he'll just flat out go on to say in verses 14 and 15, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now we're getting somewhere. Why do I say this knowledge is equivalent to love? Because Jesus compares the intimacy that he has with his sheep to the intimacy that he's had with his father from all eternity past. Folks, it doesn't get closer than that. It doesn't get more loving than that. And yet that is the imagery Jesus chooses to use to depict his relationship with his sheep. Even though he knows all of our sin and all of our struggles and all of our failures, that's how closely committed he is to you. He loves you. Matter of fact, the word know here in John's gospel, in John chapter 10, is the word that's used in the Old Testament to describe the consummation of a marriage. Like when a man and a wife would consummate their marriage, they were said to have known each other in Hebrew. It's the same word here in John's gospel. Yes, God's disposition to you is love. He knows you and is committed to you. And, and, how is it the sheep know the good shepherd is actually leading them? Well, because they recognize his voice. They recognize his word. That's what Jesus says here. 
And Jesus' audience at the time would have known exactly what picture he was actually creating for them because it was an all-too-common, familiar scene. I mean, what would happen in the various towns back then is all the different shepherds with all their different flocks would gather together in one big sort of sheep pen in town, and they put all their sheep in the same pen. Now, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that is, well, okay, like when they come to pick up the sheep the next morning, how do they know which sheep are which? I mean, they're all mingled together. They're all mixed together. How do they know whose is whose? Well, this, this is true. In the ancient world, the shepherds would name their sheep. And the way they found their sheep was by calling them out by name. And the sheep, recognizing their shepherd's voice, would follow him. When Jesus says, God's sheep recognize their shepherd's voice, what he's saying is we recognize his voice to the degree that the voice corresponds with his word. Or if for practical purposes, we have somebody that claims to be a shepherd of the sheep. After all, that's what a pastor is. Pastors, it's synonymous with shepherd. If a pastor claims to be representing the good shepherd, well, then he better be speaking the words that the good shepherd speaks, and he better be proclaiming what the good shepherd says. Thus, if someone comes claiming to represent the good shepherd and does not speak the word that has been revealed to us in the scriptures, then that person is said to be a false shepherd. So we know, uh, or, or we, we have confidence that we can follow our good shepherd because he knows us, he loves us intimately, and has revealed himself and, uh, and his character in his word. Third reason the sheep can have confidence as they follow Jesus, their good shepherd, is because he provides for them. What does Jesus say he provides uh, for the sheep in this passage? Well, he says in verse 9, he's the door. If anyone enters by him, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Uh, he goes on to, to say, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now let's just unpack that a little bit because it all has to do with the, this provision that the sheep have from the shepherd. First of all, uh, we're told that the sheep are given the door in the good shepherd. So Jesus sort of changes metaphors throughout this passage. At one point he's the door, at one point he's the shepherd. This is far from the only time that Jesus uses the imagery of a door or, or an entryway. You know, he, he'll refer to himself as the gate, or he'll refer to himself again in John 14 as the way, the truth, and the life. Now what's important here is he does not say that he is a door. He says he is the door. He does not say he is a way. He says he is the way. Now, this declaration might make us in a very sort of pluralistic modern Western culture uncomfortable because Jesus is saying what it sounds like he's saying. He is saying the only way to have access to the kingdom of God or to use the terminology he uses in this passage to be saved is to enter by faith in his name alone. 
that all other ways that would claim to get you to God will not in fact get you to God. That those other ways, those other supposed doors are actually false shepherds. Jesus alone provides salvation and entrance into the kingdom of God because Jesus alone has done all things that God's appointed Messiah was called to do. And what's the result of Jesus being the good shepherd on our behalf and being the door on our behalf, giving us entrance into the kingdom of God? Well, the result is that we are given, we are said to be given like sheep, open pastures. Now, what does the sheep do in the pasture? Well, well they're free. They're free, and they're free to graze. They're free to, to eat. What, what the good shepherd is saying here is, is that we have the promise of freedom and having our needs met by him forever and ever, beginning now and culminating in the life to come. The, the point is the sheep can have confidence in their good shepherd because he provides for them and will provide for them all that they need. They will not starve. They will not go hungry. They will not be abandoned on their own. They will be provided for abundantly. And why is it that the sheep can be so certain that this provision of eternal abundant life is really theirs? Well, to get to there, we have to go to the last statement of our text. We can have confidence in this good shepherd because this good shepherd laid down his life for, for the sheep. Over and over in this discourse, Jesus insists on declaring this truth. Verse 11, I lay down my life for the sheep. In case you didn't hear that, he says again in verse 15, uh, I lay down my life for the sheep. And just in case he wasn't clear, Verse 17, uh, I lay down my life for the sheep. And oh, one more thing, just in case it didn't get through one more time. Verse 18, I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't know why we do it, but we tend to look to temporal blessings in this life to prove that God loves us that he cares. I do it too. We're all sort of prone to doing it. I get a raise. That must mean God loves me and I'm in his favor. My family's doing well and healthy and has avoided this horrible virus. Well, therefore, God's showing me his care for me and that he really does love me. Ah, but if I get demoted, does that mean God doesn't favor me anymore and that he's angry at me for something I did? If my family does get sick, does that mean I'm no longer good with the good shepherd? Folks, as natural as it is to judge how God feels about you by what's going on around you at any given time or how you're feeling at any given time, that is simply not biblical Christianity. It, it just isn't. This is, this is karma, but biblical Christianity is grace. Biblical Christianity says Listen, you want to be sure that God actually does love you? Stop looking within. That's a roller coaster of emotions that's never going to give you stability. It's totally subjective. One moment you're high, one moment you're low. Stop. No, no, no. Look to where he laid down his life for you. 
You want to be sure that God's on your side? Look to the cross. Look to the cross, to the cross. That objectively happened in space, time, and history. You ever doubt whether the Good Shepherd really is for you? The cross, the cross, the cross. As Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we cleaned up our act. In that same passage, we're referred to as enemies of God that have been reconciled by him. Where? At the cross. It looks a little like this news story I read a while back. This woman named Kristen Dominey was driving on a highway in Florida when she was she was cut off by another woman driving crazy on the road. I'm sure this has happened to you. I know it's happened to me before. I may have even done the cutting off at some point, not realizing I did. But to top it off, the woman who had cut her off didn't just drive crazy and do that, but she also um, made an obscene gesture with one of her fingers as she was driving by. So, I mean, talk about nerve, man. Anyhow. A few moments later, Donnie is driving down the same highway, and what do you know? She sees her enemy's car flipped over on the side of the road, and to make matters worse, a fire was starting in the car. So what would Domini do? Well, I, I, I love the honesty here. I do. I mean, I, I appreciate it. She says, my first thought when I came around the corner and saw that her vehicle was on fire is, well, I was thinking karma. Now, I mean, I know it sounds kind of cold, but there is, there is a reality there to the human being. You're like, ah, well, you got yours. But, but here's what Domini did. She told the Tampa Bay Times, at the same time, I could never even though she made the obscene finger gesture at me down the road, I could never just sit there and watch that happen. On top of this, when she pulled over and got closer to the car, she noticed that there was another female in the car too. And long story short, Domini ended up wrestling her enemy and her enemy's companion out of the car and saved their lives. Now, that is what God does for us in Christ, as Christ lays down his life for us. Though we have passed him by oh so many times in the most brazen of fashions, though we through our thoughts, words, and deeds have disrespected and dishonored him so many times, even today, not living up to his commands, he still, in his grace, rushes right to us in the wreck that we've made of our lives and over again reminds us he's laid down his life to save us from our sins. That is why he's the good shepherd. And that is why we, as his sheep, can confidently follow him wherever he leads us. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you 
that you would make this truth come to life for us. Instead of us living in the illusion that we can lead ourselves, help us to submit to your lead because you are a good shepherd. Now, Father, we pray the prayer that our Savior gave us with one voice saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.